Hello and welcome to The Best is Net to Come. My name is Josh and I am joined, as always, by Michael Rubenstein. Thank you so much for listening to us today. On a Wednesday morning for you, it's Tuesday night for us. The Nets are currently playing the Milwaukee Bucks in their second game against them. They lost 117-114 on Sunday to the Bucks. Giannis had 49 points. He made four threes. They left him out there on an island. DeAndre Jordan did his best, did the absolute best he could possibly do. Yet he left him. He said, you can shoot. Made four of them. He also had eight rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. Giannis just had like a monster line, monster game. Now, obviously, Giannis is going to do this. He's a two-time MVP. He's one of the best players in the league. But think of his matchups. He's got DeAndre Jordan, who obviously has to leave him at the perimeter because he'll burn him. Or it's going to be Blake, or it's going to be Claxton, who is back today, and it's great to see him back. Now, I'm curious what the Nets are going to do in a matchup with the Bucks in the playoffs. Because, obviously, KD is playing insanely well. You know, he's shooting really well. He, he scored back-to-back 40-point games the, last week. He scored 42, uh, I think, on Sunday. Kyrie is a little tired right now. You know, he's going through, he's been playing a lot. He's going through Ramadan, so I'm not sure how that's affecting his game. But he seems to have lost his touch a little. He doesn't have that spring in his step. And, and Joe Harris is just like night and day. Sometimes he's, he's missing all his shots. Sometimes he's hitting his threes. And it's hard to tell when he's going to be on or off uh, as of late. So what should the Nets do about Giannis, Mike? I actually kind of like what they did last game. Now, with a little bit of a tweak that they've actually applied in tonight's game that we have on while we're recording – DeAndre Jordan was playing so far back last game that he wasn't contesting like at all. He pretty much looked them dead in the eye and said, go ahead, shoot it. Tonight, he's standing a little bit closer, still far enough away that Giannis will shoot it, but at least Jordan's been contesting it, and Giannis missed a few jump shots. The game plan is make him shoot and don't overreact. Just make him keep doing it over and over, even if he makes a couple. And I'm kind of okay with that because as the game goes on, excuse me, we know the Nets are going to score points at some point. So they're going to keep it close, even if Giannis is going off. What happens to the Bucks in a lot of these big matchups, and especially playoff matchups in the last couple of years, Giannis isn't the end of the game closer. Middleton is. Because Giannis typically doesn't shoot very well, and he can't hit free throws. So you don't want the ball in his hand at the end of a game. So if Giannis is the only one shooting for the majority of the game, if Chris Middleton's not in rhythm, if DiVincenzo hasn't taken a shot in, you know, 10 minutes or Connington or Drew Holiday, I'm happy with that. If the Nets keep it close and we get it to the end and all of those guys don't have a rhythm, I actually think that's a pretty good strategy. Now, Giannis isn't going to score 49 points every time. He might have a good game and get 35, but I think last game with the 49 was a fluke. I don't think he's going to hit four threes in the playoffs. I don't expect them to hit mid-range jump shots the way he was. So I actually don't have a problem with how the Nets play defense. It really just came down to like, I think Connington hit a three at the end of the game. And I was just like, of course, he would hit the one (laughs) shot he took. But if he misses that shot, I mean, the Nets have a chance and the defense, you know, the strategy worked. All right. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you you feel that way. I'm just worried as to whether or not Giannis even has another level that he's not playing at right now. We all know Giannis is a gamer, right? Like he does not shy away from these mid-season competitions with good teams. He knows how important it is for these statement wins. 
So he might be playing his best right now, and that's, you know, if they're going to win games for it, good. And if they're going to scare the Nets fans and the Nets front office or whoever um, because they see how good Giannis is and how he's able to just manhandle um, his, uh, you know, whoever's defending him, either by shooting or by driving on them or blocking KD. Did you see that block he had on KD last game? That was pretty – that was a little – uh, shocking. Uh, KD never gets blocked, so for that to happen is pretty tough. Giannis is just a gamer, man. I love Giannis, but I'm scared of him too because he's just too good. Now, the Nets played on Friday last week too, and they also lost. This is the first time they lost two games in a row in a while. They lost on Friday to the Blazers. They were doing pretty well against the Blazers in the first half. They limited Dame. It wasn't really Dame time yet, and then it was because largely they were doing this double team, and then they just gave up on the double team, and the second half, Dame had eight threes. Now, it might have been like, you know, he might have been shooting him from half court. But, like, if the, the game plan's working, just let it, you know, keep doing it. Especially against an elite player. I don't understand how the defense could decide when to and when not to play that way. you got to play hard against good teams. That's, like, that's like such, like, simple, simple uh, advice. It's not even advice. It's just how you should play the game. I'm just kind of worried uh, if the Nets are going to be playing a guy like Russell Westbrook, who we'll be talking about later in the, in the pod, and he's on, and they're cu- they're double teaming him, and it's working, and then they just stop. He'll, he'll just score ten points in a minute on you if you if you just stop doing what you're doing that works. Last night we're watching the games, and there was a Marvel game that went on. Marvel had some sort of a uh, promotion with ESPN. I mean, they're both owned by Disney, so that makes a lot of sense. Of course, and they it was the Pelicans Warriors game. The players were assigned a superhero. There were these um, hero points, I guess they, they called them, uh, some sort of made up stat. I kind of found it interesting. I would say it was more interesting than what the NFL did with the Nickelodeon. I, th- I thought this was a little more fun. Um, Mike, what worked last night for you? The main thing that worked is I'm a big Marvel nerd, and I got all the references they were dropping. <laughs> so the three people calling the game, it was um, Richard Jefferson, who we love, Ryan Rucco, who we love, and Angelique's, I don't know her last name. Roche, um, I think. Okay, and she was great. And they were all super nerds, and they were dropping lines from the movies in the right moments. Like It was relevant to the game with the line they were saying. So that was really cool as a Marvel nerd uh, to relate to. I thought the graphics were decent. Um, They didn't overdo it, I don't think. On the three-point shots, they had like a little tail coming off the ball, and it was a little distracting. I remember there was one shot. It was one of those ones where Curry shot it, and he knew it was going in. So he kind of starts like treading back. But as a fan, I can't really tell if it's going in, where normally I I could because of the tail. So that was a little annoying, but not too bad. Um, The logos that would pop up when they made baskets, like it was fine. It was nothing too much. I thought it was pretty funny to see like Iron Man sitting on the shot clock during a free throw. Uh, Richard Jefferson provided some pretty good sarcastic commentary during stuff like that. Uh, I thought it was fun. Um, I don't know how the superheroes were chosen. They kept saying like, you know, Doctor <laughs> yeah, they were Strange saying chose like, Draymond Green. Chose Draymond. <laughs> they yeah. were like, yeah, Black Widow chose Steph or whatever. Brandon like, Ingram. Uh, yeah. Brandon Ingram. Yeah, Captain so, Marvel chose Steph. It was funny how they kept talking like this was some sort of like predestined thing. Uh, but and then like and then they had to like keep justifying why certain guys picked certain guys. Like 
I love how Richard Jefferson just kept harping on like how it didn't make sense that Black Panther would pick Andrew Wiggins. I, I, th- I thought that was so funny. Yeah. For me, um, I thought that the things that worked were like the uh, the point system actually was really fun. The hero points because it made you still interested in a game that was largely a blowout in the fourth quarter because you're watching to see like oh who's gonna win the hero points like who's gonna get it is it gonna be Steph oh but it's Draymond he's getting so many assists and rebounds it was great and I love and it was kind of fun how like Lonzo had negative hero points at one yeah. point like that that just feels like such a um a great summation of his career and uh yeah I don't know it was fun but what didn't work for me the most because I thought it was so bad and you were talking about the graphics i hated how they just were putting the superheroes in the game themselves like they would sit iron man on like the score on the shot no, clock like, or something oh, i like that i like no that. it looks so bad it looked terrible it looked like like <laughs> 2012 video game graphics they're just putting like iron man on like sitting him on the <laughs> shot clock i'm like what the heck is this it's so dumb i i didn't like that black panther is like kind of like hovering and on the sideline just like kind of doing yeah. this weird shimmy i don't know that was silly but i did like whenever they make a shot like when curry would hit his shots they the logo the captain marvel logo would like shoot out of the basket i thought that was kind of cool yeah. yeah um i'm glad they interviewed anthony mackie that was really cool, and that was like a live interview. He was like talking about what was happening in the game as it was happening. But I thought um, it was really cool to have him on um, as the new Captain America, which they spoiled for anyone who was in the middle of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, like, yeah. I think if you watch Endgame, you know, Endgame ends, and you're like, okay, he's getting the shield, cool. But the whole story of Falcon and Winter Soldier is like him not wanting to be Captain America, so they totally spoiled it for anyone who hasn't watched it yet. Um, sorry if anyone's listening right now that I just spoiled it for you, but, um, <laughs> I think it's been like, what, like two weeks or 10 days or so since like they actually revealed it on the show. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if you really care about Marvel, you've had like two weeks to figure out that yeah. like, this is Captain America, Anthony Mackie or, or the Falcon has becomes Captain America. Like if, if you really care, you would have known by now, if you don't yeah, really right. care, then too bad. You got spoiled. That's your fault. Yeah. I think the last thing I'll say is I was disappointed that there was garbage time. As you mm-hmm. were saying with the hero points, um, Draymond actually it was tied with Steph in hero points. They go to commercial, and they come back, and Draymond magically got an extra assist. And then that was it. It was garbage time. They were both out of the game. So that was a little anticlimactic for what could have been a really exciting close to the game for the hero points. Uh, but I thought they did a really good job of like tying it into Doctor Strange. You know, if I tell you what happens, it won't happen. Like, that was hilarious. <laughs> Very well done. Yeah, I think overall it was fun, and I would like to see another um, Marvel game in the future, uh, especially with, like, high-scoring players like like Curry, who really had a great game. I think he had 41 last night. Yeah. No, but he only had 37 hero points, you know. I don't know what happened there. A couple turnovers. Missed too many shots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carmelo Anthony made history last night. Unfortunately, the Blazers did lose a game that they desperately needed to win against the Hawks. But Carmelo Anthony is now the 10th leading scorer in NBA history. Uh, he has the 10th most points. I think I forget the guy's name he passed. Um, but yeah, he's 10th now. The only other current player who is on that list is LeBron at 3. Uh, there's a good chance that... Carmelo could pass Shaq by the end of his career and then would become the eighth in uh, league history. And after the game, 
Terry Stotts gave him the game ball even though they lost, which is really weird. I don't get giving someone a game ball even though you lose. He gave this speech in the locker room where he basically said, like, look, I was out of the league like two or three years ago whenever he was on, like, the Rockets and they cut him. He was out of the league and now he's here and he's putting in, like, significant minutes on this Blazers team. And now he's the 10th leading scorer of all time. So it's interesting how this guy, he really redeemed himself in the league. And he also redeemed himself for a lot of people, including myself, in terms of his legacy. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think his absence from the game for however long it was, a year, two years, um, is going to probably save his image for the rest of his life. Like, I hated Mello. We all kind of hated Mello. Obviously, the league did, too, because no one wanted him. And now he's having this, like, great story. They're probably going to make a documentary about it because I'm sure he's got plenty of, like, behind-the-scenes footage of his struggle. So good for him. It's a good story. Um, I hope it turns into some success team-wise because I do like to root for the Blazers, and I like to see Dame succeed. I think, unfortunately, they're just not good enough this year. But maybe he'll uh, find a home in another team next year. I don't know. Well, I, I think that Melo's going to have to take veteran minimums as long as he wants to keep playing in the league. I mean, as much as he's actually very helpful, at least for getting points, he doesn't get you anything else. He doesn't get rebounds, doesn't get assists, doesn't get steals, blocks. He just shoots the ball. That's it, which is cool, but like not really beneficial for a team trying to win. Obviously, the Blazers had the same problem they've had for like five years. They don't play defense. So after they lose in the first round, or maybe they even get busted in the play-in tournament, the Blazers need to make some serious, serious decisions. They need to do something with their roster, and they might have to fire Terry Stotts. I'm not saying Terry Stotts is a bad coach, just saying it's getting stale. Like, what are they going to do with him anymore? Like, he has no plan for them that's, like, really punking any other team. Like, everyone knows who the Blazers are. They know exactly how to play them. And they win games against them unless Dame goes and has a crazy last five minutes, right? Yeah, um, I hate it because I do like Stotts as a coach. I thought he did a lot with less for most of his time in the Blazers. And now the last couple seasons, I mean, last year was injuries um, and then the bubble. They ran into the one seed Um, this year. I don't know if there's any real excuses for their underperformance with the team they have. I know they've had some injuries like Nurkic kind of keeps getting hurt, but. I think after this, I think his time is up, unfortunately. If they don't at least get to the second or third round. If they get bounced in the tournament, he's next flight home. But if they get uh, beat in the first round, unless it's like a seven-game you know, nail-biter, uh, I don't think he can save his job at this point, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I hope for the best. I love Dame. I love the Blazers. I love CJ. I love that whole dynamic they got. They're my favorite small market team. They've been my favorite small market team for a while. But they just need to do something in the playoffs. They need to, like, make it to the Western Conference Finals again, I think, honestly. Like, that's the only way that, like, you see this as, like, a successful season. Well, other guys in that play-in tournament right now, much scarier guy because he's on the East Coast and he's playing like a goddamn fiend, is Russell Westbrook. Last night, Russell only had 14 points on eight shots, but... He had 21 rebounds and 24 assists. 24 assists. I don't know how you do it, 
unless you're Russell Westbrook because he's the kind of guy who needs who draws so much attention and is also brilliant with the basketball that he can get it to whoever needs it in order to score. What is going to happen when they make the eighth seed and then have to play the Nets? Like, how do you stop a guy getting 21 rebounds and 24 assists in a game? Here's how. You don't miss shots. <laughs> yeah. So what I actually – I saw a quick clip. I don't know if it was the game last night or the game before it of Westbrook uh, during a timeout telling his teammates, like imploring them, get a rebound, run. And if you watch a lot of his assists, they're not in the half court, most of them. They're in some kind of secondary fast break or regular fast break. And he's so dynamic and so fast with the basketball. If you try to stop him from getting a layup, he's going to find his big man. If you don't stop him, he's just going to dunk it himself. So the trick is really to limit the fast break opportunities. And in the playoffs, they don't happen as much. The game slows down. And he'll have to play in the half court. And he's proven to chuck up bad shots in the half court. So if the Nets do play the Wizards, I am very scared of Russell Westbrook. I'm scared of Bradley Beal. But I think the way the game will play will be the Nets' advantage. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm not quite as concerned as I was maybe a week ago when the, the thought first popped into my head. Like, I thought about it a little bit. And it's scary. But I think Nets in five. <laughs> They'll lose one it's- of them. It's truly terrifying how this guy was able to completely change his own narrative like midseason, like the first 15 games. And I guess this is just how Russ has been in his last like two or three years. Like this is how he was last year, too, when he was on the Rockets. He starts the season really cold. Everyone's like, oh, he's away. He's a bust. You know, he's going like eight for 24. He's like taking terrible shots with two minutes left and the team's still losing because of him. I mean, like, look, he still does take terrible shots, but. He turned it on at the end of last year, right before the uh, the season collapsed uh, because of COVID, and then he's been turning it on now. There's only about eight games left. They've went from like being the 12th seed like a month and a half ago to now pushing it so they might become the eighth, uh, and then only have to win one game to go into the play-in tournament. I mean, go into the playoffs. So it's truly a renaissance yet again for Westbrook, and he's proving once again that he despite all of his inconsistencies, is just like a generational talent that is unmatched. I'm deathly afraid of Russell Westbrook. He scares the crap out of me. All right. Playoff picture talk. We're just talking about Russ, talking about the Wizards. We're within like eight games of the playoffs now around the league, like between like eight to even like six games for some teams. What are some seeds that you say would be locks at this point? But which ones could drastically flip? So I don't think there are many locks just because of how close some teams are. I think the Knicks at the four seed seem to be a lock. They're too far behind the Bucks to catch the Bucks for the three seed. I don't see the Hawks catching the Knicks to jump them. Um, so I think the Knicks are a lock at the four seed, which good for them. That means they're going to host the first round, which is incredible progress for a team that no one thought that was going to happen for. Uh, I think... I think the Celtics are probably locked at the seven seed, which means play in tournament for them. I don't see them catching the Heat or the Hawks in these last couple of games. So I think in the East, those are my main two seeds that I think are really stuck where they are. The Wizards and Pacers might flip nine and ten, but I don't know if that really has any impact. I don't know if the play in tournament is like a, a neutral floor or is it gonna be at like you know, is the nine seed gonna host a ten seed? Do you know that off the top of your head? 
Uh, the nine hosts the ten, and the seven hosts the eight. Yes. Okay, cool. So that I guess will matter for that one that game. One game. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the Wizards will probably pass the Pacers the way that both of those teams are playing. Uh, I think the see. Wizards might. The Wizards are going to go to the eight seed. I'm almost guaranteeing that. And now we just found out today that Miles Bridges. His health and safety protocols will be out for the next 10 to 14 days. Oh, and true. he was one of the better players on the Hornets. They're still missing Hayward. They got back LaMelo Ball, but LaMelo Ball, I don't know if he can, like, carry a team uh, without a guy like Miles Bridges to, to get assists with. So I can see the Hornets falling down to maybe 9, the Pacers falling to 10, and the Wizards playing the Celtics for the 7th seed. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at that, I guess. Um, I forgot about Bridges. Um, yeah. And then in the West, I think the Spurs are locked in at the 10. I don't see the Spurs um, winning enough games to catch the Grizzlies. The Warriors have vaulted into eighth after last night, which I think is cool. I think they'll end up there, which is awesome. That means they only have to win one out of two games. I really want the Warriors to just ruin someone's day really bad. Uh, I think the Blazers are probably locked at the 7 because they've been playing pretty bad, but they're not playing bad enough to drop to the 8, I don't think. Um, and then after that, I would say the Nuggets are probably likely to be the three because right now they're tied with the Clippers and the Clippers are on a little bit of a losing streak. I don't know what they're doing managing their injuries. Uh, I think the Nuggets will probably stay hotter. I don't know what happened to the Nuggets last night. I went to sleep and they lost to the Lakers somehow. Well, they they were losing by two uh, they, or four uh, or maybe three. I forget. In the last shot of the game, Faku Compazzo, who is like our height. Tries to shoot a three, and Anthony Davis just like fucking smacks it out of the air. Like, yeah. like think of like King Kong, like hitting a like a fucking airplane helicopter <laughs> out of yeah. the air. Like that's what it was like, and the yeah. game was over. So yeah. yeah, they lost. They should probably should have won. Uh, Davis had his first good game, honestly, yeah. since he has been back from injury. So so good for Dame. I mean, good for Anthony Davis. But Lakers, I don't know how I feel about them in their seating because. It's seeming like LeBron's going to be taking a few games off coming up. And I, although Davis plays well, they're also missing Schroeder. And it's really tough for me to pick them to win most of the games they play for the next couple days. So, I don't know. Do you see them staying at five or going to six or even dropping into the play-in tournament? Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts here? I would say they might drop to six, but, like, I don't know what to make of the Mavericks either. I think the Mavericks could lose every game they play. Uh, Porzingis doesn't play. I think... Uh, Max Kleba and someone else are, like, dealing with some injuries. Uh, I don't know their schedule. I don't, like, have it in front of me right now. So the Mavericks don't give me enough confidence to say that they're going to leap the Lakers. So I'm not going to call either one of those a lock. I think the Lakers will probably finish as the sixth seed, but I wouldn't call it a lock. I think my only real one, I guess, in the West is is that 7 through 10. I think the 7 through 10, the way it looks right now, is probably going to stay that way. Yeah, Blazers, unfortunately. Blazers, Warriors, Grizzlies, Spurs. That's that's how I think it's going to finish. I think you're right. Unfortunately for the Blazers. But, you know, they always struggle through adversity. They were in the first playing game ever, so I think they can do it again. Dame always plays best when his back's against the wall. True. We're coming towards the end of the season. Accolades. We're going to be talking about accolades a lot over the next few weeks. You know, we're talking MVP, uh, All-NBA. All rookie, rookie of the year, all that crap. And one of those is coach of the year. Now, I think most people are saying Thibodeau is going to win coach of the year or possibly Quinn Snyder if the Jazz can pull off that first seed. 
there are a couple other guys who I think are in running, such as, um, you know, Monty Williams, maybe uh, a guy like Doc Rivers, Taylor Jenkins for the Grizzlies or something. Yeah. There's a but lot. There's a lot of coaches a lot that of guys. One of those guys is Steve Nash. Now, do you think Steve Nash deserves to be in these Coach of the Year conversations? No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I think the Nets have gotten away with um, sometimes their talent taking over and not necessarily coaching decisions. Now, I will say the Nets are dealing with as much adversity as anyone in the league as far as who's in and out of this lineup. I think they're second right now with the most different starting lineups played. Um they, you know, they missed Kyrie for games. They've missed KD for like half the season. Now Harden. But if you like, we watch these games so much that we can tell there's stretches where the Nets look like a bad team. Sometimes they can't play defense. I don't think you could win Coach of the Year if at any point you're the worst defense in the league. Yeah, <laughs> like no, that to me right. automatically disqualified them in the first half of the season when they were letting up 130 points a game. Yeah, like I'm sorry, case closed right there. I don't care how many games they ended up winning. Some of these wins they got were because the other team was also sitting there, guys. So the win total is a little inflated. Um, I don't know if the rest of the league pays as close attention besides watching the Stars. But we've seen, like, Kyrie beat the Celtics because the Celtics sat all their guys. So stuff like that happens. So I like what Steve Nash has done overall. Like, I'm very grateful to be sitting at the one or two seed right now. But mm -hmm. Coach of the Year, there's too many other guys to, to put in front of him. You're right. I think really the award should go to Sean Marks for GM of the year. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Executive for of the year. Yeah. Executive of the year for the amount of moves he had to make mid-season in order to keep this team afloat. Like guys like Alizé Johnson and uh, this new guy Mike James coming in. Like, okay, he had like a couple duds, right? Like Norvell Pell. <laughs> We've got like Roberson came in for a little bit, but. Like, there's been some significant contributions on top of the fact that he was able to sign Blake Griffin. And Blake Griffin's making a considerable uh, effort here on this Nets team. Um, he was able to sign LaMarcus Aldridge before, obviously, he unfortunately had to retire early due to his heart issue. Sean Marks has been incredible this year. And we already knew he was great because he was able to pull KD and Kyrie and Harden. But... You know, he's just like no matter what's happened in terms of like uh, injury or COVID protocols, whatever, he's putting a team out on the field on the court that can compete, and it's pretty great. It's like a little shocking, but it's great. Okay, so I'm looking currently at the NBA rookie rankings. Hashtag basketball here has using a number of stats has ranked the rookies of 2020-2021 season. I'm going to read you from 10 to 1. And I want you to tell me if you think... Now, you know what, actually? I'm going to read you from 20 to 1. Because I think there's a lot of guys here that we we know at least a little bit about. And I want you to tell me if you think that they are going to become something great, if they're going to be meh, or if they're actually going to be a bust. And they've maybe had some flashes of good play but overall they're going to end up stinking i'm going to start with number 20 who's alexi pokachevsky people love talking about this guy he's the tall skinny lanky guy on okc he's had a couple weird games he's the kind of guy you pick up in fantasy because the night before he had like 20 and 15 and then you pick him up and he goes like 
two for ten and gets like three rebounds. Yeah, you know who did that? I did that. <laughs> I think I think so, everyone's done it at one point. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually watched him play, so I I don't feel that I'm qualified to give a true opinion on this. I'm gonna call him a flash in the pan. I think he's capable of putting up a number, you know, stat line. But a lot of guys in the NBA can do that on bad teams. So I don't expect to hear his name for much longer. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's really skinny. Like, this dude needs to hit the gym. <laughs> I, don't, I know that, like, that's kind of his brand is that he's skinny, but I don't like it. I don't see a guy this skinny lasting that much longer. Uh, unless he, like, really um, develops, like, a crazy perimeter game. Maybe he'll become, like, Brooke Lopez. But uh, I don't see it. All right, number 19, Isaac Okoru. He, uh, he's been playing on Cleveland all year. He's been all right, I'd say. I mean, he's always in their starting lineups, or he's at least – he's been currently in their starting lineups because so many of their guys are either not playing because they're hurt or the team is tanking, so they're sitting them. What are your thoughts on Okoro? I think he will be a, uh, a longtime role player in this league. I think he's got some talent from the little that I've seen him play. Uh, he hits double digits in the scoring pretty consistently. Like, he's got 21 last game, 11 before that, 10, 15. So he can play. Uh, the efficiency is not great. 3 for 9, 4 for 12. He had a 1 for 6 night. So I, I don't know. He's um, he's interesting. I'd, I'd like to keep my eye on him. The Cavs are kind of loaded with a few of those types of guys, with Sexton and Garland. So I don't know if Okoro is going to find his place on that team. But I could see him being a, a contributor on a bad team. Okay, I mean, that's kind of what he's been right now. So, sure, yeah. I believe you. Number 18, Peyton Pritchard. You know, he came into the season hot. I remember, like, my first impression of him was, like, I guess the Nets' first or second game when they played the Celtics. And he played really well, consistent minutes. But, I don't know, it seems like he's uh, maybe not living up to the hype that he had built in the beginning of the season. What are your thoughts on Pritchard? Uh, I'm not crazy about him. Um Seems like a scrappy guy, can get hot, but I don't see him like getting a chance on a championship contender. Uh, the Celtics, I don't think, are championship contenders this year. They're good, but as soon as you know he's done with the Celtics, however many years he might be on the Celtics, I don't see him bouncing around like a J.J. Redick kind of role player, um, where the contenders always want him to put them over the top, and that's I think what his ceiling should be. Like, I think his goal should be that type of player, but I don't see him living up to it. Okay, I'm going to put these next two guys together. 17, Killian Hayes, and 16, Theo Maladon. Now, again, Theo Maladon, uh, similar to Pachevsky, Pogachevsky, he's a, he's a OKC guy that, you, you know, he has, like, one great game, and then he has, like, four bad ones. Then another great game, and then, like, five bad ones. So what are your thoughts on Maladon? And also, Killian Hayes, who is, you know, starting now essentially for the the Pistons because they're also sitting there guys they're pretty bad um can't really shoot but he's getting a couple assists what do you think I don't like Maladon he's currently <laughs> on my fantasy team and the other night when the Thunder lost by 57 points he was two for 14 Ugh. so he was probably the reason why they lost by 50 points like that's horrible if you're getting playing time on a tanking team you're gonna lose but lose by that much if you're you know you're the point guard you're leading the charge i don't like that at all like the other guy you mentioned aleski whatever his last name is i haven't watched the thunder play so i don't really know 
how to evaluate him other than looking at the numbers on a stat sheet. But I'm not crazy about a guy who's getting minutes on a tanking team because that just kind of seems like they're just biding their time until next season. So I'm not crazy about him. Uh, who's the other guy? Uh, it was uh, Killian Hayes. Oh, Killian Hayes. I like Killian Hayes. Uh, I saw a couple highlights of him, and he looks like a tough player. Um, don't really have much else. Uh, I haven't watched him play too much. I don't. He's not on my fantasy team. I don't know what the numbers are. But okay. <laughs> so I saw a, good, a couple good highlights of him. <laughs> so this guy got hurt recently, but he, he actually was playing some serious minutes for them. 15 is James Wiseman with the Warriors, and they're the number two pick in the draft. Do you think he lives up to that number two pick, or you think he's going to kind of be a bust too? I think he lives up to it. I think next year, when if if Clay Thompson can stay healthy, if he finally gets back to the court, and they have a Splash Brothers, Draymond Green, I don't know what they're going to be doing with Andrew Wiggins or Kelly Oubre, but James Wiseman's going to just kind of find himself in this great situation where all he has to do is be athletic and play smart basketball. And if he's being coached by Kerr and learning from Draymond and all those guys, I think Wiseman has a very bright future. I'm very excited to see what he can do. So I'm going to jump around here a little bit. Xavier Tillman is 13. Desmond Bain, also a Memphis Grizzly, is at 9 on this ranking. What do you think of those two guys rocking with the Grizzlies right now? I really love what I've seen from Tillman. Uh, Desmond Bain, I think, is like a more efficient Dylan Brooks, like he's kind of the same player. Maybe he could become better than him. What are your thoughts on those two guys? I only know Tillman because I picked him up when Valanchunas was hurt, and he had a, a couple of really good games. I think the Grizzlies are kind of loaded with these young, tough guys, and that's the culture they're building. So, like, great for them to find a guy like that. I don't honestly know anything about the second guy you said. <laughs> Dude, Desmond Bain, he's uh, he's number nine on this list. He's been playing all right. I, I, from what I've seen of him, yeah, he has that, like, Dylan Brooks quality to him. You know, he can hit a three, but he can also get, like, five turnovers. So, like, it's just like, what are you going to do? Either you pick one or the other. Another point guard who I think is, like, one of my most fascinated – I'm, like, the most fascinated with this guy because of his size his, or lack of size is Facundo Composa, the Argentinian backup point guard who is now the starting point guard of the Denver Nuggets because, unfortunately, Jamal Murray has torn his ACL a few weeks ago. Have you watched any Facu games? Do you I see have. what he can do out there? Yeah, so I do see what he can do, and I, I like what he does overall. But he also seems to be this kind of defender that the other team's point guard wants to murder. <laughs> like, there's like three games where I think it was like Steph Curry, maybe John Morant, and someone else. Because he's small, he tries to get into you, he tries to bother you, and then he can't block your shot because he's so small. So these guys just want to torch him. Now, he's keeping the Nuggets afloat. Like, they're all stepping up after Jamal Murray got hurt, but he's the, the guy who essentially replaced Jamal Murray to be the point guard. He's not scoring the way Jamal Murray can, but I like what he does. He's tough. He's smart. Uh, he's a playmaker for others. Uh, as long as he doesn't get torched on defense, I think he could be a very good player. You know, he's been actually pretty good defensively, at least not maybe like post defensive, but he had five steals last night. He's been getting, he had a couple games recently where he's had two to three steals. And then also, like we said on offense, yeah, he's not going to score you 20 to 25 points like Jamal Murray was making like every night. But then again, Jamal Murray did take up a lot of shots. And yeah. to be frank, the Nuggets have been playing really well without Jamal Murray. They're like 9-2 yeah. and two 
without Michael Jamal Port- Murray. Yeah, because Michael, Michael Porter, Porter, Michael Porter Jr. was like, I'm finally the second man on this team. Like, I deserve to be. And he kind of does. He's a better scorer. And he also knows how to, like, he's big, so he can still, like, get, like, paint buckets. Uh, he's been fantastic. But, you know, Faku's had games with 13 assists, 10 assists. So, yeah, he's short. He probably shouldn't shoot the ball more than six or seven times a game. But if he's going to get, like, you have the other best player riled up and off his game, then that's exactly what you want. All right, so now we're getting to the top ten here. Emmanuel quickly. I feel like I was higher on him in the beginning of the season. And then yeah. they got Derrick Rose, and Derrick Rose has been playing really well, so I haven't really heard much about him. Is that a problem? Is that, like, pretty shit for quickly? Is, like, is this going to affect his game? Uh, I don't think it'll be a long-term problem because he's so young and Derrick Rose, as well as he's playing, he's not going to be on the Knicks for the next three years, probably. I don't see that happening. So as long as quickly can be patient and try to learn from Derrick Rose, I think it's going to benefit him. Uh, He'll get some playoff minutes in this postseason. No one really expects the Knicks to win more than maybe the first round. So he'll get a taste of the environment and the level of competition, which will be good for him. So, He's learning from Thibodeau. Uh, he's going to play hard every night. Uh, I think he's got a very bright future. Uh, I think the Knicks got a good one with him. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said earlier, Desmond Bain was nine. Kenyon Martin Jr. We're talking Kenyon Martin on this pod. His son is ranked 10th of all of the rookies right now. Can't say I've seen him play once. Or at least paid attention to a single game he's been in because the Rockets are just that terrible. So we're going to skip him. Another team I haven't really watched too much is the guy ranked at number eight. They call him the Paw. I think it's because of his name, but also because he plays pretty good defense. Patrick Williams. Oh, okay. uh, Chicago Bulls. Yeah. I don't know much about him. I don't think he scores much, but I think he's like a pretty – he's like a scrappy defender. So maybe he's like got some potential if he learns how to shoot more. Now we're in the top seven. And number seven, I love this guy. He's got so much heart. I watch his like post-game interviews all the time because he says some hilarious shit. And he's like he, he's been hitting a couple of game winners this season. Cole Anthony is at seven. I love Cole Anthony. Do you do you know anything about him and his game? I don't know much about like his game, I guess. I know he's a scorer. He's aggressive. He's the son of Greg Anthony, an NBA player. So that's cool. Uh, but he's on Orlando, and like, what's he gonna do on Orlando? Orlando's just doomed to always be bad, in my opinion. Especially because they kind of just traded away everyone they had, trading away Vucevic and Gordon. So he'll probably put up numbers. He'll be a stat guy for the next couple seasons. But how good is he really? I don't know. I'd like to root for him. He is funny, and I think he was a uh, Carolina Tar Heel, wasn't he? Yes, so, he was. I'll, I'll root for him. Yeah. Now, who would have been the Nets? 17th pick in the draft. I think it was 17 or 19. I forget. Um, but ended up going to the Pistons so that the Nets can get Shamit was Sadiq Bay, And Sadiq Bay, who would have thought, has a three-ball game down pat. He is an incredible three-ball shooter. I don't know what his averages are. Oh, yeah, I see it right here. Two and a half, almost two and a half threes a game. For a rookie, that's pretty great. I know he's on the Pistons, who are terrible. And they're just like, fire away. Do whatever you want, Sadiq. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on Sadiq? I like Sadiq Bey. Um, I'm happy with what Landry Shamit's been doing. I know in the beginning of the season yeah. we kept – He has just, been better. 
we kept just yeah. being like, oh, we could have had this Sadiq Bay guy. But I like what Shaman's been doing. The only thing I'll add about Sadiq Bay before we move on, because I haven't really watched him play too much, is I picked him up yesterday um, for my consolation championship. <laughs> and he got 26 points with five threes and nine rebounds and two steals. So uh, I, I was a little surprised that you or Zach didn't go for him. But uh, I've had him in the past. I, I've had him in the past. I know he's capable of doing that sort of thing. But I don't know. I had I had some bad luck with him uh, for oh, a few okay. days, so I, I did drop him. I think he did really poorly. All right, top five here. Isaiah Stewart. He's the center on the Detroit Pistons. He's playing behind Mason Plumley, I think, but he's been great. He's been really, really good. He's kind of got that oomph, that, that dog in him. He's pretty strong. He gets into fights with people. If you guys watched the Nets game where they played the Pistons, he was the guy who got into a fight with Blake almost immediately in the game and got ejected. This is a rookie we're talking about. Like, he got himself ejected from a game fighting with Blake Griffin. Uh, do you know anything about uh, Isaiah Stewart? Not really? No, if you hadn't clarified who he was, I would have had to pretend. All <laughs> right. I, I, I don't really know anything about him. Keep it a buck. Keeping it a buck on the net, best is net to come. All right, now we're finally in the top four. Thank you guys for sticking around through this. It's important to know about all these rookies because these names might come up in the, the next few years. And you can be like, oh, yeah, that guy. He's really good. Now, people put him at two, and even when LaMelo Ball was hurt, he was potentially going to be number one, maybe win rookie of the year. But right now he's at four, Anthony Edwards. I think it's because his field goal percentage is really pretty crap. Um, and his, uh, you know, he's been sh- getting a lot of points, but again, playing on a terrible team, he gets a ton of minutes too. of the top 10 rookies in the league. Uh, he is getting the most minutes at 31.7 minutes a game. What are your thoughts on Edwards? I like a lot of things about Anthony Edwards. I like his athleticism. I like, uh, his aggressiveness. I do like his swag. Like he's got some old school just like confidence and i like that in a rookie uh kind of like how john morant was last year where there's this guy coming on and he wants to be the best and he wants to tell you uh he's really funny in his post-game interviews i just don't know what's wrong with the timberwolves i would love to like hear a professional like nba scouts opinion on why are the timberwolves so bad all the time because with anthony edwards and carl towns and d'angelo russell why can't they figure it out Year after year, even when they get these top picks, like, what's happening? Is Anthony Edwards just going to be another example of Timberwolves having a guy who we think is talented but can't win games? Uh, I think he has a bright future, but, like, I just don't know what's wrong with the Timberwolves. I'm really genuinely curious why they can't win games. I don't either. I don't know. I I kind of think it might be Carl Anthony Towns as a leader. I know he seems like a great guy, and I know he's a great basketball player. But he doesn't seem to have that kind of um, – he doesn't have that effect on his team that gets them to play better. You know, he doesn't facilitate well enough or he doesn't inspire greatness. I don't know what it is. I, I hate to put it on him, but, you know, he has been the leader of this team for at least, what, three years now pretty much. He, he needs to uh, have – to be a better all-star. And he is he is a former all-star. I don't know how I feel about him. The 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 Timberwolves are going to probably get the number one pick in the draft again. They're going to get Cade Cunningham. And then they're going to have Cade Cunningham, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. And they're still going to win fucking 20 games next year. 
I just don't know what's gonna. I don't know what's wrong with him. You're right. It's very confusing. Now this guy's been interesting. Another Houston Rocket, Jay Sean Tate. Been playing. Uh, his efficiency's just been unreal. He's shooting 51%. For a, a shooting guard to be shooting that high of a percentage as a rookie, pretty good. Uh, he doesn't like hit a lot of threes. He's only scoring about 11 points a game, but he's getting five rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.3 steals. He's just all around good. You know, his his total. They have this metric where you have a total. Him and the next two guys are the only ones who are of a positive total in terms of their adjusted total base stats. So yeah, have you watched any Jay Sean Tate? I haven't. I'm assuming he's come on since John Wall's been out, and the Rockets have not been relevant enough. I know, um, I'm, uh, what's his name, Kevin Porter? I know he's been Kevin going Porter off. Junior. Right, yeah. he's, a, he's in his second year, yeah, I think. But, uh, but I just don't know anything about Tate, honestly. All right, we're finally down to our two guys who have actually put in some like significant minutes on their teams. Number two, Tyrese Halliburton. Now, we liked him right, out, like, right from the jump. And I think he's consist- been consistently good all year. He hasn't been, like, great. The, the Kings are not good. They're only, like, kind of bad. But as a rookie, I like everything I see from Halliburton. I like the way he carries himself. I like the way he plays. He doesn't take bad shots. He makes assists. He gets steals. He does a little bit of everything. He's hitting two threes a game. I like Halliburton. What are your thoughts on him? I like Halliburton a lot. I think... Uh, 10 years from now, when we look back at this class, he will be the second best one out of this group, uh, only behind the one we're about to talk about after him. But uh, I like him. He's athletic. He can shoot. Even though his shot is weird as hell, it goes in. Um, It seems like he has the respect from his opponents, too. I remember watching the Nets play the Kings, and it just seemed like there was respect already for a rookie. And that's very rare for a rookie. So he's doing something right. Now, the Kings are kind of like the Timberwolves. They keep being bad, they keep getting these high picks, and they keep messing them up. So maybe Halliburton's the one that turns it around, because uh, De'Aaron Fox certainly wasn't the one to turn it around. So I don't know. I think Halliburton can be an all-star. I don't think he'll be a superstar, but I think he could be an all-star down the road in a few years. I think so, too. I, I mean, if you pair him with uh, maybe a really, really good center. I mean, like, Rashawn Holmes is okay. But to like have a guy like Tyrese running around, if he can get his shot at a higher volume to stay at the same consistency of 47%, he's only shooting 10 times a game. For a guy who's now kind of filled in as the starting point guard for them now that De'Aaron Fox has been out for a while, to only still have 10 shots a game is, is not enough. you got to take more shots, Tyrese. I know you're efficient. Maybe you're a little too conscious of your efficiency, but... As a starting point guard, 10 shots is just not enough. you got to take like at least 16 to 17 shots a game and hopefully still go 47%. Now our final guy, number one, LaMelo Ball. The dude was unreal. His assist package is just insane. He comes back this week. In that first game he came back, he had this crazy like bowling ball assist. It looked like, you know when you like are playing, you're bowling, but you're terrible at it, and you let go of the ball too late, and the ball like goes like an arc? onto the thing. He did that from like full court to, I forget who it might've been like miles bridges or like Biombo or something. 
and it just looked effortless. Like he doesn't even like try. He just does these crazy Jokic like passes all the time. What do you love the most about Lamelo Ball? Because for me, obviously, it's the the assists. I just talked about it for a minute. But what about what about like other parts of his game? I think the number one thing for his game is his pace. It's a very rare thing, even for veterans, not alone, let alone rookies. He doesn't go too fast for himself. He always seems under control. His handle of the ball is amazing. So he always like is thinking about what he's going to do next, and he's looking for, you know, how is the play developing instead of worrying about how he's moving. And that's um, so important. It's it's what LeBron does. It's what guys like Kyrie do. And he's so young, and he can he just has the feel, like he's a superstar. There's there's no way around it. He's already in my eyes a superstar talent. And I don't want to be a fan of his based on, you know, the media and all the, the bullshit we had to deal with with the, the Ball family. But I can't be biased and, and deny what I'm seeing. Like, I love it. His shooting's still a little inconsistent, but it'll get better. We're seeing Lonzo's already getting a little bit better at shooting. Lamelo he'll improve as well. His teammates seem to love him. Like, I thought he was going to come in and NBA players were going to be like, who's this pompous, like, you know, kid? Why are we going to listen to him? But it doesn't seem like he has that effect at all. He seems like he inspires greatness, like we said before, uh, how Towns doesn't. Right. I think I think the Hornets are going to be on the map, and I, I think, think they got yeah. a home run. Absolutely. I, th- I think that, like, a really good um, point guard who is just a phenom with his assist making, his playmaking – He's the kind of guy that every player in the league wants to play with. Yeah. Like when you have a you, guy you run harder. You run harder. When you know a guy can hit you where you need to be every time and knows how to essentially like make a play happen from anywhere on the court, it gives you the confidence to play better too. And I guess that's why they've like kind of grown to love this man. I don't know what kind of a person he is. But as a basketball player, LaMelo is just a beauty to watch. He does things that you dream about in basketball. Just crazy, crazy things. I hope that he becomes a future superstar. I hope he. I hope the Hornets pick up another all-star in the ne- near future as well. Uh, unfortunately, they're doing too well this year. I don't think they're going to get a great draft pick. But maybe in the next two or three years, they'll get someone good to come to them in free agency just to play with LaMelo. So we'll see. Now, on our last major topic here, we're going to talk about LeBron because LeBron came back and he's uh, he's a little banged up still, and he seems a little frustrated. They lose the first two games he's back in, and then during his second game back, he doesn't even play in the last seven minutes because he's hurt. And they ask him about how he is in his career, and he's talking about his like um, efficiency with like his body, and he says, "Look." I'm never going to get back to 100% for the rest of my career, like in terms of health. Now, a lot of people are reading into that comment like, oh, LeBron making excuses for himself already, or oh, LeBron is like 36, like, you know, maybe he he will not be 100% ever again. I think even at 75%, LeBron is a top 10 player in the league, but is he hinting at a sharp decline in his conditioning, or do you think he was just trying to like defend his team or defend himself from being bad? <laughs> I think he's defending himself, um, and this is, has been my main criticism of LeBron, is he sets himself up to not 
I don't know the right way to phrase this. Like he doesn't want the pressure of failure almost like he doesn't want people to think, you know, he's coming back full strength and then why are they losing? Like he's giving himself an out. You said it kind of already. He's giving himself an out before the thing happens. And I don't like that at all as a competitor. Like he, all he had to do was go up there and say, you know, I, the ankle's not feeling too great. Um, but you know, I'll get, I'll get back into the training room and we'll see how it responds you know, tomorrow. That's all he had to say. But no, he had to go up there and give this little pity party to let us know not to expect greatness. And then what's going to happen? He's going to probably turn it on and be great. And then everyone's going to be like, oh, he look like he still does have it. And I think he's just calculated that way. I think that's how he thinks. And I wish Rick was here <laughs> because <laughs> I've said this before, how LeBron is calculated in how he's going to be portrayed. And yeah. I think he's just doing it again. But he does it in a way that's not – it's calculated, but it's not smart enough that, like, we don't pick up on it immediately because we do. Like, I'm picking up on LeBron, like, saving his own ass immediately every single time he makes a comment. Yeah. It's, like, the same way Paul George is. You Like, every time Paul George, like, loses a game, a tight game, he makes this, like, backhanded compliment to the other team. Yeah. Like, he says, like, oh, if you're going to get that many free throws, of course you're going to win a game. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> like, that's pretty much what LeBron did. By saying, yeah, you're going to win if I'm not going to be at 100% for the rest of my career. It's like, can't you just be like, yeah, I got to be better. And then, like, that's it. Like, what's so yeah. hard about being, like, that humble? Like, you're the best player in the league. We all know you're the best player in the league. Just be a little more humble. Like, his humility is, like, surprisingly low for a dude who is like, proven himself over and over again. Now, you wanted to talk a little bit about these recent uh, – Richard Jefferson, Skip Bayless comments that have been flying around. Um, tell us, Mike, what, what is going on? All right. So uh, a couple of weeks ago when the Knicks were in the midst of their win streak, uh, Knicks fans were going in KD's like DMs and it got leaked, of course, because it always does of the Knicks fans like gloating and KD saying like, I would love to have a playoff against the Knicks. So Richard Jefferson kind of just like very innocently went on I think the jump on ESPN and said like Knicks fans, like watch yourself. You don't want to see KD. Like I was on a team with LeBron and I didn't want to see KD. So what then happened was Skip Bayless, the clown of all clowns decided to try to take that out of context in a way to say, look, Richard Jefferson is admitting that KD is better than LeBron. <laughs> and Richard Jefferson was like, that is not what I said. That is like, you're completely missing the point of, you know, how I was phrasing this. And it was all on Twitter. It was all on social media because they're on different channels, mm -hmm. like Fox News, Fox Sports, and ESPN. So they can't go on each other's shows, and they both know that. So Skip Bayless is the one. He's poking Jefferson. Come on my show. Let's have this talk. And Jefferson's calling him out like, you know we can't do that. Like, stop hiding. And Richard Jefferson is a troll. Yeah. And that, so I think that's something important. It's something important to understand here. And, and I think what is really fascinating about this is that Jefferson explains it. And it's something maybe others don't take the time to do is that you literally cannot go on Fox and speak whenever you want if you are an ESPN employee. Like there has to be a sort of a unique, uh, I guess, clause in your contract that allows for you to step onto other TV shows and then speak your mind. I guess because ESPN is very protective of their talent, and obviously probably Fox is protective of theirs, but I would say especially ESPN is of their own. 
And Richard Jefferson's like, look, we cannot do it on your terms, but we can do it online if we just do it on my podcast. Like, I'm the host. Come to my podcast. We'll talk about Durant. We'll talk about LeBron. But I don't know, man. It's so corny to me how, like, anyone, Richard Jefferson or Bayless, actually takes stupid conversations like who's better, LeBron or Durant, seriously. Like, who (laughs) cares? Talk about what's happening on the court today. Talk about that yeah. shit. I don't like legacy talk, especially while, guy, while guys are, like, still playing. Like, just let them continue to play. Then you can talk legacy in the off season. But, like, they're playing right now. Talk about what happened yesterday. That's all I want. Yeah. I just love how Richard Jefferson is, like, not afraid to, in, like, throw insults. Like, Skip Bayless is, like... Even when he's calling Richard Jefferson out or, like, yelling at him through tweets, he's not really going personal at all. But then Richard Jefferson goes, can someone please explain to this senile old man? Mm-hmm. And then he says, well, why don't you hobble your old ass onto my, my podcast? Like, Richard Jefferson is just, like, such a jerk, but it's hilarious. Well, I mean, he's, I think he understands that this is how everyone sees Bayless. I, I don't understand how Bayless lives his life like not realizing that he's such a joke like it's yeah. it's kind of ridiculous yeah Stephen A Smith is wild and he says some crazy shit but Stephen A Smith looks like a completely sane man compared to Bayless because Bayless makes up like ridiculous takes like his takes are colder than a freezer <laughs> I don't get it uh, well is there anything else you'd like to talk about Mike um no, I don't think so. Just um, the Nets are currently losing to the Bucks again, which is not fun to watch. Yeah, we're not going to talk about who's going to win this game. Yeah. It's looking tough. Like, these Bucks are good. I am worried about them. They did a real number on the Sixers. They're doing a number on the Nets. Even if the Nets pull this win off, right, this game tonight, any matchup against the Bucks this playoffs is going to be tough. Because the Bucks, they've been there now twice. They have gotten their battle scars. They've gotten their heart ripped out of their chest yeah. against the Raptors, and especially last year, they got just smoked by the Heat completely in the bubble. You can blame the bubble for that, or you can just blame the fact that they weren't ready. I think it's a little bit of both. So we will not be here uh, Friday morning for you guys, unfortunately. We won't be back until next Wednesday, but there will be a few games, and next week we're going to talk about everything going on in the league because next week is pretty much the last full week of the season after that will be the play-in tournament it's looking like a lot of things are not going to be decided until that last week like seating and and all that stuff just a lot a lot of close games so excited to talk about it with you guys but yes be back next week thanks so much for listening to the best is net to come on behalf of mike and myself we really appreciate you listening to us follow us on instagram and twitter and all that stuff And have a good rest of your day.